Oh, wow. What a fantastic Easter weekend we had over... 2,500 people in person, over 3,000 online for a total of almost 6,000 people. Uh, many decisions for Christ. Just hear story after story. Uh, just wonderful story of people coming to Christ, including 23 baptisms. Uh, you know, it's crazy, but our Easter services were the main ones talked about in the media in our part of Southern California. Uh, for example, these pictures ran in the Inland Valley Daily Bulletin. San Bernardino Sun, San Gabriel Valley Tribune, California News Times, Pasadena Star, The Press Enterprise, Whittier Daily News, The Spectrum News, and this is a crazy thing. We were at the top of the Google page uh, for Easter weekend. So I just want to thank everyone who served and prayed and invited and gave and watched and attended. I believe that eternity was changed for many people because of you. And I praise God for you. Now, this Sunday, we start even more options for people to attend in person and to watch online. In person, 8.30, traditional, indoors, 10 o'clock, contemporary, outdoors, and 11.30, contemporary, outdoors. Uh, indoors, I'm sorry. So indoors, outdoors, then indoors. Online at 8.30 and 10 and on demand after, the, uh, after 11 o'clock when the uh, 10 o'clock service is concluded. Uh, those are going to be specifically created for those watching online. Uh, or the online sermon will be separate, and you can match it with the traditional music from the 8.30 in-person service or the contemporary music from the 11.30 in-person service after the conclusion of those services. And we are just so grateful for Pete Wilson and our media team who have just worked so hard over the past year to provide more and more options to keep us connected as a church during COVID. Uh, today, we're starting a topical study that's sandwiched in between our eight-part verse-by-verse series on the book of Colossians and a 15-part verse-by-verse study on the Sermon on the Mount that we'll do in the middle of May and throughout the summer. But it's a four-part series called, I Said This and You Heard That. Uh, now, for years in our family, we've had uh, two rescue dogs, Millie and Floyd. Uh, but recently, we had to put our beloved St. Bernard, Millie, we had to put her to sleep. And I, I said the picture, here's a picture of Floyd, um, the dog that was left behind. Uh, and I said to Kimberly, looking at Floyd, uh, here's what I said, but here's what she heard. And I said, I think Floyd looks like he enjoys being an only dog. Okay, that's what I said. But what she heard was, I think Floyd looks lonely and he needs a rescue puppy um, named Hazel in order to keep him happy and to keep him healthy. Now, looking at this video of the two dogs playing, uh, I think that as usual, uh, Kimberly was correct. Uh, Floyd did indeed need, even though I said I think he looks happy, I think she heard uh, he needs uh, a playmate. And as usual, I think that Kimberly was right. Now, communication is difficult. And our words have tremendous power to either hurt or to help. Proverbs 15, verse 4, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. 
Proverbs 16, verse 24, gracious words are honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And Proverbs 18, verse 4, the words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. Now here's the problem. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, like me, have ever said something you wished you hadn't said? Oh boy, my hand is way high uh, in the air. And Paul had the same struggle. Paul, one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, in Romans chapter 7, uh, he talks about this struggle that he had. And, and, and in each place where he says, I don't understand what I do, we're going to replace it with say. So let's take this famous passage, and, and he said, I struggle with what I do, with what I think and what I say, but let's put in the word say in place of the word do. So it goes like this, I do not understand what I say, for what I want to say, I do not say, but what I hate, I say. And if I say what I do not want to say, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who say it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to say what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not say the good I want to say, but the evil I do not want to say, this I keep on saying." Now, if I say what I do not want to say, it is no longer I who say it, but it is sin living in me that says it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to say good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is through Jesus living within us that we can finally conquer the tongue and say things that are helpful and that are not hurtful. Uh, Paul put it this way uh, to the Galatians. So I say, walk by the Spirit, okay? That is, say the things as guided by God's Holy Spirit. When you pray to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. And so he says, uh, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That is, uh, the natural uh, way of our sinful nature. We won't give in to it because we'll walk by the Spirit instead. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. You, you can't just say the first thing that comes into your mind. You know, one of the best parts of heaven is going to be when we get to heaven, uh, we're going to wake up in the morning and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? He says, he's going to say, well, whatever comes, whatever comes naturally. Uh, Lord, what do you want me to say? Say the first thing that comes into your mind. What do you want me to think about? Whatever you want to think about. And it'll always be the right thing. But this side of heaven, we have this conflict going on. And so uh, whenever we have this, this conflict within our, our flesh and, and the spirit, uh, that means we can't just say whatever we want to say. We've got to ask for God's Holy Spirit um, to guide that. Going on to verse 18. The acts of the flesh are obvious. 
And there's this whole list, but, but notice uh, some of these things in here that we think of as like really big deal sins, but right in the midst of them are certain things that we've particularly struggled with during the COVID year in 2020. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Look at this list, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, but right in the middle of this list with witchcraft, idolatry are things like discord. Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, and factions are right in the middle of a list with envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So right in there with orgies and witchcraft and idolatry are things like dissensions and factions that we've had struggled with so much, uh, the conflict that we've had over the past year within our communities and within our, within our nation. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's the problem. And here comes the solution in the next two verses. But the fruit of the Spirit, that is allowing God's Holy Spirit to guide us in what we say, to to guide us to have ourselves under the control of the Holy Spirit uh, rather than under the the flesh or the natural way of, of saying things and doing things and thinking things. The result or the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Boy, if those things characterized the way that we talk to each other, then what I said and you heard uh, would go so much better, even though we're different. Uh, I love the story of the traveling uh, missionary back in the 1800s, the Methodist uh, circuit riders would ride on horseback and they would travel as missionaries in the Old West. And this one missionary led uh, a Native American uh, chief to Christ, but then he went on his circuit and didn't come back for another year. So he looked the chief up and he said, so how's your walk with Jesus going? And he says, well, he said, it's like there's an old dog and a new dog inside of me. Uh, An old nature, new nature, old dog, new dog. And they're always having dog fights inside of me. And so the missionary asked him, he says, well, which one wins? And the, the chief thought for a moment and he said, it depends on which one I feed the most. Depends on which one I feed the most. Well, the next four weeks, we're gonna look at what old dog you are specifically fighting uh, based on your personality type, based on what we call your temperament and how to feed that new dog. And the first step is to identify which dog food is best for your particular new dog. And then later in the series, we're gonna see how that affects our communication. As we begin to get to understand ourselves better and the people around us better, we're gonna see how does that affect our communication with each other. I said this, you heard that. Now, through uh, the centuries, people have identified four different personality temperaments. And they're called in the Greek, uh, sanguine, choleric, melancholy, and phlegmatic. Uh, some people saw these uh, four types of people in the sayings of a man named Augur, A-G-U-R, in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 11 through 14, around 1000 B.C. 
But about 500 years later, a Greek physician, famous Greek physician by the name of Hippocrates, uh, he's the one that first named the four temperaments, again, sanguine, choleric, phlegmatic, and um, melancholy. Now, more recently, the temperaments were talked about by Tim LaHaye, who was a pastor uh, from San Diego. And he's most famous for the Left Behind series. But before Left Behind, there was a book called The Spirit-Controlled Temperament. The Spirit-Controlled Temperament. And my pastor back in Virginia preached on this when I was in high school. And it was like a huge help to me. And I hope it's going to be a help to you uh, as well. Now you can find out your temperament uh, by taking a very quick test, just 40 questions. And it's, it's not necessarily a Christian or biblical test. It's a secular test, but it'll still be very, very helpful. Uh, temperamenttest.org. And we're going to leave that up there uh, for just a moment. It's also in your study outline if you printed out uh, a study outline. But if you go to that, it'll just take you 10 or 15 minutes, very fast, 40 quick questions, and it'll begin to give you an idea as to what your temperament might be. Now, one temperament is not better than the other temperament. The key is to emphasize your strengths and de-emphasize your weaknesses. So one's not better than the other. And you can have combinations of multiple temperaments. So usually one or two are dominant over the other two. Now, it doesn't let you off the hook. You can't say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I hurt you. That's just my temperament. No, the whole goal is to have a spirit controlled temperament, a temperament guided by God's Holy Spirit. Your temperament is your innate wiring from God. It's unchangeable. It's like your voice print. You know, I never knew this until I, I, I listened to somebody speak about this just a, a few weeks ago. I didn't realize your voice print is like your fingerprint. That is, if they take your voice print when you're a child, and you think about how your voice uh, changes over as you grow into adulthood, but even then, your voice print stays the same for your entire life. So does your eye color. Uh, so does your hair color. That is, if you do have hair. Uh, believe it or not, I used to be a blonde. Now, now, the, now, how much hair you have, that changes over time, and it can turn gray. But your hair color, uh, my, my hair color used to be blonde. As a matter of fact, when I get to heaven, uh, it will be blonde. It will be long and thick. Uh, just so you'll recognize me in heaven, it's going to be Fabio hair. Long, thick, blonde hair just um, falling over my shoulders, So just so you can identify me in heaven. Um, and your fingerprint, these are unchangeable along with your temperament. Now, that's different than your personality. Your personality can evolve over time. It can be affected by things like birth order. <laughs> My heart, poor kids. Uh, each time we adopted um, uh, new children, it just kind of threw the birth order all out of whack. And so we were changing the kids' birth order all the time as we adopted more children. And so your birth order can affect your personality, the culture that you're in, your religion, uh, your, your life experience. So those can evolve, but your temperament is unchangeable. So I want us to do, just to begin to talk about this subject, here's a quick uh, one and a half minute, quick, fun introduction to the temperaments. And as you watch this, I want you to ask the question, which shape or color do you most identify with as we begin to introduce the subject of the temperaments? Let's watch this.
Just looking at that, what shape are you? Uh, which one of these do you identify with? Uh, the yellow bouncy spring, the, the green ball, the, the cube, uh, red cube, or the blue triangle? And we're going to find out that this is the, the melancholy, and this is the phlegmatic, and this is the sanguine, and this is the choleric. And even the shape and the, and the color they have found, uh, people are more attracted to them based on what you're based on what your temperament is. So which one do you initially identify with? I have to admit, when I see that spring, all I can think about is Pastor Eric Holmstrom. I, I've, I haven't asked him yet what his test came up with, but I would be willing to bet my house that he is a springing uh, yellow there. So let's dig into it a little bit uh, more, more deeply. Let's put up a chart here, and it's going to show you when it's controlled by the Spirit, who you are, and when you're not controlled by the Spirit, which temperament, um, it, 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 how it, it lives its life out. So let's start with the, the sanguine. When a sanguine is not under the control of the Holy Spirit, they can be unstable, undisciplined, restless, undependable, egocentric, loud, exaggerates, and fearful. But when they're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they can be talkative, outgoing, enthusiastic, warm, personable, friendly, compassionate, and carefree. Let's go to the choleric. When they're not under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they can be angry or cruel, sarcastic, domineering, proud, inconsiderate, self-sufficient, unemotional, or even crafty. But when they're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they can be strong-willed, determined, independent, optimistic, practical, productive, decisive, good leaders, and confident. Let's move to the phlegmatic. When they're not under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they can be stingy, fearful, indecisive, spectator, selfish, unmotivated, self-protective. But when they're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they're calm, easygoing, dependable, efficient, conservative, practical, leaders, diplomats, um, peacemakers between people, and humorous. And then the melancholy. When they're not under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they can be self-centered, moody, theoretical, rigid, unsociable, critical, and revengeful. But when they're under the influence of God's Holy Spirit, they're gifted, analytical, sensitive, perfectionist, aesthetic, idealistic, loyal, and self-sacrificing. So let's look at a couple of melancholies in the Bible. First of all, Moses, the melancholy. Uh, we have a lot more information on him than others uh, in the Old Testament. First of all, the melancholy gone wrong. Uh, 
Uh, they can be revengeful as we see Moses and, and read these stories on your own for your own personal time in the Bible or with your life group this week uh, as he killed the Egyptian there in Exodus chapter 2. Self-deprecating in Exodus th- chapters 3 and 4. God got so angry with Moses because he was so self-deprecating. And then sometimes struggling with depression. Uh, You'll see this in Numbers chapter 11, verses 10 through 15. Uh, Moses, uh, the the people of Israel are all complaining uh, about him, to him, about many things that they didn't like going on. And so Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to, wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me if I have found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. Um, It's funny, uh, even though your temperament is unchangeable, I believe you can temporarily bounce into another temperament for a short period of time because of the circumstances in your life. Uh, For example, I kind of got a kick out of this. Uh, I've always been either a sanguine slash choleric combination or a choleric slash sanguine. Uh, One of the two, um, all the way since high school, since I've taken this test all the way since high school, I've always been a sanguine choleric or choleric sanguine. But after a year of COVID, I took the temperament test in preparation for this series. And for the first time in my life, I was a melancholic. (laughs) I, I had to laugh about that. I've never had a drop of melancholy in me for my whole life. But after a year of COVID, uh, that's what I was. And so I can, I think the Lord did that so I prepared for this series because I could, I can totally identify with Moses. Now that's a melancholy gone wrong, but a melancholic gone right. Uh, can be gifted. Acts chapter 7, verse 22. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Many people, historians, consider Moses the greatest leader who ever lived. The greatest leader who ever lived was a melancholic. Um, Self-sacrificing is another character trait of melancholy under the influence of the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews, it says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Uh, Another um, great trait of melancholics is perfectionism in a proper type of perfectionism, not one that just kind of imprisons you into inaction and and disables you from doing anything, but a perfectionism that is needed at times within life. You can see that in the second half of Exodus, the whole book of Numbers and Leviticus, who better than Moses, the melancholy, to set up the new nation of Israel with their laws and with the tabernacle 
tabernacle and with their sacrifices and, and all the various details that had to happen in order for him to uh, be used by God to form a nation out of nothing there in the wilderness in preparation for going into the promised land. And then loyal. Boy, Exodus 32, such an amazing passage where the Israelites have worshipped the, the golden calf and God is about to destroy them and start all over again with Moses. But Moses is so loyal to the nation of Israel. And there's this part right towards the end of Exodus 32 where he says to God, he begs God, please forgive Israel. And then he goes on to say, Basically, or send me to hell in their place. He, he says, blot out my name from your book of life. He, he literally says he was so loyal to the nation of Israel, even though they annoyed him and, and heard him and criticized him all the time. He loved them so much that he actually came to the point of saying, send me to hell instead of them. I, I love them and I am loyal to them. Now, a shorter amount of information is about Martha the melancholy uh, that we read about very more briefly in the New Testament. And in this story that we're going to see that Luke records, you can see here the good trait of a melancholy, very self-sacrificing, but also the negative was in there as well as she is uh, criticized. So self-sacrificing yet critical. And you can see both of these traits in this story that Luke told. And you're also going to see a classic uh, melancholy slash choleric versus sanguine slash phlegmatic confrontation. Mary, I think, was either a phlegmatic or a sanguine. Martha was melancholy or maybe a bit of, of choleric. And you're going to see these things, these two things come in conflict with each other within the story and Jesus kind of moderating uh, the situation. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to them. Now, there she is, self-sacrificing, opened her home for Jesus and his disciples uh, in order for them to come. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Mary, I think, was a phlegmatic or a sanguine, and she just plopped down and just wanted to be with Jesus and hear everything he had to say. But Martha, the melancholy or the choleric, was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now think about that for a moment. This choleric or this melancholic is shaking her finger at the Lord who created the whole universe and ordering him to order her sister to help them get the, the job done. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, said this with great love and compassion. God loves cholerics and God loves melancholics. Jesus loved them both. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary, he also loves phlegmatics and he loves sanguines as well. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken uh, away from her. Now let's just finish up by looking at five steps for spiritual transformation, to, to have a spirit-controlled temperament rather than a, a flesh or sinful nature-controlled um, temperament. Uh, five steps. Number one, examine yourself and take stock of your personality qualities. I think that this series is 
going to be tremendously helpful. It is important to, to know yourself. And I know some people are more into these kind of tests than others are. But whether it's through personal observation, whether it's feedback from other people, whether it's from some kind of temperament test that you take, like the one I just suggested. Uh, as we go through this series, I think figuring out who, how God made us and how he made the people we work with at work, in our family, that we go to school with, here in the church, I think it helps us so much to understand and communicate better that I said this and maybe the reason that you heard something else is because of our difference in, in temperaments. Genesis 1 verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. Uh, God created you to be uniquely you. And the more you can figure that out and figure out the people around you as well, the healthier our relationships are gonna be. And then number two, confess before God your positive qualities gone wrong. Okay, when you were doing those lists, if you begin to identify who you are, boy, as I go through, I can tell you the negatives of a sanguine and a choleric. But by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, I, I don't want to be that person. I, I, I want to be the Spirit-led. I want those attributes that are more positive as led by God's Holy Spirit. I want those things to characterize me rather than the, other, rather than the others. And so I confess them before God which ways I've gone wrong. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then number three, lean on Christ alone for his transforming power. Uh, Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, the, the, the most practical thing you do is call in the name of Jesus. Jesus, live your life through me. Galatians 2 verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the power of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, the whole first step you've got to take if you're going to have a spirit-controlled temperament is you've got to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And there's just three steps to that that I want to lead you in a prayer right now. First of all, sorry. Secondly, thanks or thank you. And then please. But you, you go before God and say, God, I am sorry for the ways that I have fallen short of what you wanted me to be. When I look at that list and that chart that we just had, I see so many things uh, from the flesh-controlled temperament of my life that have failed you and have failed other people. I'm sorry, but then thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into the world, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, shedding your blood, and rising from the grave with resurrection power so that when I invite you to my life, thank you that by your Holy Spirit living within me, I can now be, have a spirit-controlled temperament rather than a sinful nature-controlled temperament. And then finally, please, please come in and, and be my Savior. Forgive me of my wrongdoing and transform me from the inside. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new person. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Would you, right where you're seated, in your living room or at your computer or wherever you are, wherever you're listening, maybe you're listening to this later on in your car, would you pray this prayer uh, along with me? Oh God, I'm sorry for the ways that um, my sinful nature has taken 
the, my temperament in the wrong direction. I'm sorry. But thank you, Jesus, that you have came into the world so that I could be saved from myself, so that my, my sins could be forgiven, and I could live as a new creation, a new person, a spirit-controlled temperament. And then please now come into my heart and be my Lord and my Savior. And from this day forward, transform me into the person that you want me to be. Um, lead me in the direction that you want me to go, I pray. I, I receive you now as my Lord and as my Savior. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And, and wherever you're watching, if you agree with me, would you just quietly say out loud or to yourself, amen and amen. And then, and then number four, cooperate with the Holy Spirit in the process of accentuating the positive qualities of your personality. Uh, Ephesians 5 verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, the filling of the Holy Spirit um, when you, is when you take the, the steering wheel of your car and you shove Jesus to the passenger seat. Um, the way we describe this is when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you let Jesus or the Holy Spirit drive the car and you're in the passenger seat. But um, so, so many times we just grab the wheel from Jesus. And it doesn't mean that we're no longer saved or on our way to heaven. Uh, Jesus is still in the car, but he's just not in control. He's sitting in the passenger seat. You took the steering wheel from him. And so when, when Paul says here, be filled with the Holy Spirit, that is a regular, boy, it, it can happen multiple times in a day when you catch yourself taking the steering wheel from Jesus. So multiple times during the day, say, nope, I want to be filled with the Spirit. And so you slide over to the passenger seat, you say, Holy Spirit, take the wheel. Jesus, take the the wheel and take me in the right direction. That's what it means by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then number five, feed that new nature, the new dog that we were talking about through prayer, Bible study, service, and community. Um, through regularly connecting, whether it's online or now in person, it's so important that we regather now, that, that we regather the church. And, and as you feel comfortable, that's why we're making so many options because uh, the Bi Bible says in Hebrews, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. And all of us have gotten out of the habit during COVID of gathering together, and yet that is the absolute key to feed the new nature. We've got to be together. And if you're you still, uh, because of COVID, want to do that online, wonderful. But as soon as you feel free to come back, I urge you um, to come back either to the safest service, which is outdoors at 10 o'clock with masks required throughout the service, or if you feel okay with doing like you do at a restaurant where you wear the mask until you, you get into the meal and then you take it off and then you put it back on after the meal uh, at 8.30 or 11.30 when you get comfortable to, and this, this worship center is so vast that um, you, you can not just be six feet apart, you can be 60 feet apart. You can be up in the balcony and separated from people, but at 8 30, 11 30, wear your mask until you get to your seat. Take you can, you can take it off then. You can still keep it on if you want to, but take it off for the duration of the service and then put it back on once again, mask while mobile, while you walk back to your car or while you visit with people afterwards. But as soon as you feel ready, I urge you, we've got to get 
back together again. And until that time, be faithful every week online. But we've got to get as soon as we can back together because prayer and God's word and Bible study and serving God and being in community with each other, that's how we feed the new nature. That's how we feed the new dog. That's how we grow. Now, maybe the best way of all to do that, if you've never done Rooted, over 1,500 of our people have gone through the 10-week spiritual experience, Rooted. Rooted begins next Sunday, April 18th. And uh, groups are, are forming uh, right now. You go to purposechurch.com slash rooted. If you've never done rooted, there is no better way to be spiritually transformed. If, if you haven't done this yet, I urge you to do that. This is worth a 10 week, hour and a half per week. This is, this is worth a 15 or 20 hour time investment over the next three months. It is so worth it to spiritually be transformed and, and to begin to see God work in all these areas uh, that, that he's just called us to be a new person and to follow him in fresh power and in newness of life. So with that in mind, I'd like to close our time together uh, by listening to Pastor Marathi, who's a dear friend of our church, uh, a Kenyan pastor who's the one that started Rooted, and he was here at our church, spoke here one Sunday, and we interviewed him after that, and he will talk about how uh, Rooted is transformational, and so let's finish with that uh, before we close uh, here today. So the whole Rooted adventure, yeah, it began almost accidentally. Um, I was so frustrated because I was trying to, I was supposed to be, I was pastor in charge of discipleship uh, in a large church in Nairobi. And I was trying to help people take their first steps towards getting to, you know, to get deeper in their relationship with God, to connect with God. But I felt like it wasn't really working because I felt like I was teaching people how to act like Christians. It was almost like uh, like behavior modification. Um, um, and I felt like it wasn't going to the heart of who the people really were. It wasn't tr bringing uh, the kind of transformation that would cause them to be like Jesus. Um, and so I was very frustrated with that whole uh, process. And I think it led me to um, just almost in a meltdown, um, just dare a group of people uh, to, to take a journey with me for 10 weeks. And rather than just talk about faith, to actually experience faith together for 10 weeks. And that's how the journey was born. I just week by week, we sort of meditated on what God wanted us to talk about, uh, to, 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 to learn. And then we would do it when we met. We would meet and actually do it as opposed to just talk about it. And I experienced more transformation in that 10 weeks than I ever had for 13 years in pastoral ministry. And at that point, it just dawned on me that, you know, the Christian faith was meant to be this vibrant, uh, irresistible thing that every one of us was meant to live. And uh, that God wanted each of us to discover our purpose. And when we discovered it, we, it wasn't a religious thing. It wasn't like switching to a new religion. It was the thing you were created for that would come alive in you. Ephesians 2.20 says that before we were born, you know, every one of us, before we were even conceived, God had a vision and, and good works in advance that he planned for us to do. And the whole idea here when you talk, when you talk about Rooted is how do you discover your purpose and discover a community that will help you walk towards that purpose. And then discover God as well in the process because he's the one who's the origin of the purpose. And I feel like every person owes it to themselves to go through that experience. Uh, some people have been walking for years with Jesus and that's a beautiful thing. I've been walking for years with Jesus. But I, I feel like what Rooted does, it gives you a, a new way to just reflect on that experience with others. 
and to be challenged to grow deeper. And I've had many people say, I've been a Christian for years, but this was the thing I needed to just propel me into a deep walk with Jesus. And now my life is completely different. I've had people who are not Christians or who are new Christians taking this experience, and it's just been the thing that aligned them and almost fast-tracked them uh, in their faith and in their connection with God. And so what the thing I'd say to you is, hey, give this a try. I think it could be the best investment that you ever gave. Uh, and you don't have to come in expecting bells and whistles. This isn't magic. Um, you will really need to invest in it uh, and to give yourself to the process. But I believe as you do so that there's no way to outhype God. Uh, we've seen God do it in many people's lives and there's no reason he can't do it in your life as well. <laughs>